Welcome back, everybody, uh, for braving what will now be the fourth part and the final part, in a way, of the series with John Kenneth Muir dealing with uh, Millennium. And the reason I'm saying it might be something more is that over the course of these four parts, if people, uh, and I know you've had some interaction on the, on the blog spot there, John, yep. want some questions addressed or, or if it throws us back into you know, doing more research, whatever it should be, if you want to come back in, in about a month and a half's time, and deal with that, I would just like people to know that we, we would be willing to interact with what they um, uh, posited um, for, for us to address. I think that's kind of nice for the, for the listeners as well. Sounds good. All right, so we'll see what happens and, and what that rots. But for right now, uh, we'll deal with this being at least the final part uh, in this continuum about millennium. And first off, I want to know from you, John, I mean, there's a couple of themes in here, quite a few, in fact, and you can pull out even more and more. Uh, this, this series was, I think, done well enough that it lends itself to a reasonable amount of analysis without overdoing it. But I'm going to ask you, first and foremost, what were one of the themes that hit you more or less uh, with the Millennium three-year series? Well, one, one of the themes that I, I really see running through it, 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 it it's, this, um, it's this conflict between um, the group and the individual. And, and I don't just mean the Millennium group, but the, the idea of, uh, uh, of a group of people with an agenda versus sort of one person. And, you know, y you, can, you can sort of narrow this down to the crucible of, you know, either it's the small, the little guy fights City Hall, or, you, you know, you've heard that, you know, you can't fight City right. Hall or what have you. You know, which you, you've seen on some other horror series like Kolchak the Night Stalker, which is about a reporter who knew that there were, that were all these monsters, right. you know, <laughs> yeah. and, but no one ever believed him. You know, you can't fight City Hall. You know, and that was, that was sort of a Watergate era series, so it was perfect because, you know, you always had Kolchak sort of going to these news conferences, almost like he was going to, um, you know, going to the White House to ask questions about Nixon and Watergate, and, you know, Watergate all had all kinds of horrific uh, imagery, you know, they were his list of spooks and, you know, things like that, you know, it was, sure. you know, so, I mean, way back then, you could, but now you can see sort of, um, in Millennium, it's the same sort of, of thing, because we were, again, in sort of a scandal age, um, in the late 1990s, and, you know, you can ask yourself, you know, is Frank, you know, the little guy fighting City Hall, you know, or, or conversely, is he, you know, tilting at windmills? You know, what, what, mm -hmm. what is the right, uh, you know, what is the right answer? You know, what, what, what is sort of um, the most important thing in Millennium? And we, we've we've talked about it some, you know. I, I think you know we've mentioned Catcher in the Rye, uh, you know, as the, you know Frank's role is to sort of you know save these people from falling off a cliff. You know, the various people he interacts with, um, you know, and he, he's he's called in more than one episode or, or referred to uh, as a shepherd, as somebody who guards, you know, you know, someone who who guards others and and, and gets them to the you know the right destination. So one. One theme, I think, in Millennium is that idea of, um, you know, is destiny defined by the individual who bucks the group or the group that pushes the agenda towards a destiny? And, you know, it's funny. I just stated that in a very circular way. And, and mm -hmm. of course, what's, what's the symbol of Millennium but the, the Ouroboros, the snake in a circle, right? You know? So what do you think? Well, um, with the symbology, um, that a little bit later... What I am interested, though, in, in what you just brought up, and that is we look at two things. We look at the supremacy of the group and the individual. All was one, in a sense, um, when when Frank went into the group and was willing to uh, be part of it, and everything was more or less humming along, although he always had his doubters, of course, which he 
immediately won over with the work that he did. Right. But then we have that. Now, here's where I want to ask you. Now we have the fragmentation. And you see uh, Frank not liking what's going on. Uh, Peter Black, we can't. I'm not. No one's real sure right away where he is. And then you have the group that's going to go on. Now we have a battle between the individual and the group. Right. Um, and I guess you could take away that Frank was very effective leaving. Uh, and, and if he had a butt heads with the Millennium Group, he looked like he was pretty well outfitted to do that. Although in the end, let me ask you this. Uh, you know, Frank um, <clears throat> talks to Jordan. And he indicates that the bed isn't necessarily going to win. You know, it's it's kind of an open thing. Uh, what was your take? I mean, it looked like he might want to opt out. Right. But it seemed that when he realized that something wasn't right, and we trust Frank, of course, the, the viewer is supposed to do that. Right. I don't think there was ever a choice. We knew Frank was a good guy. Peter Black, I think, with, there was some ambivalence in. But when Frank decided he was going to walk out, um, to me, there was no doubt that, that the Millennium Group might have gotten jaded or made a bad turn, or they were always bad, and Frank just found out. How did you feel about that whole thing? Did you think that Frank saw them make a turn he didn't like, or do you believe that they always had some Saturnine uh, objectives that he wasn't aware of because they sugarcoated it pretty well? Yeah, I, I think it's the latter of what you said. I, I think the Millennium Group, um, you know, sometime and we don't know when, but, you know, sometime in the last thousand years, what have you, uh, maybe it was, uh, you know, uh, after World War II um, when Hoover got involved, which we saw in the episode Matryoshka, you know, so, somewhere it took a turn, like, and, and I think you mentioned that, you know, they decided they weren't content to wait, that they, they were they were going right. to take action. So, somewhere they went from sort of shepherding people to directing people. I, I think they always had... Um, a very dark side, and that it, it, it was just that as Frank got further into it, he became aware of it. That's one of the things I really um, appreciate about Millennium, you know, because nobody would join a cult if, you know, a very negative or frightening or, you know, suicide cult, you know, no one would join a cult up front um, if it were all negative. If, if it, you know, if, if you could detect immediately, oh, I'm getting into a cult, these, these people are crazy, and, you know, they're going to ask, you know, Crazy things of me, you know, and harm me and others. No one's going to do that. It, th those those organizations always promise something, don't they? they you sure. know, a, a, way, a way to heaven, um, a, a, a way to transcendence, um, belonging. That those groups always offer something, uh, and that's why people join them. Um, and, and so I, I think what we see the metaphor, you know, it's the metaphor for that cult in in, in Millennium is that idea that, you know. Frank is drawn into the cult because, on the surface, it, its values are things you know we, we would all buy into. You know, um, mm -hmm. you know, solving crimes, uh, keeping society safe from you know deranged killers, and you know, uh, you th things like that. You know, it, it seems very, um, you know, it, it seems like very good positive work. It's only when you rip that veneer off and get inside it that you see that there's something much more nefarious and troubling. Um, and, and and how cults get you is that they assume that you're you're once you're in you're not going to be able to make that distinction that they're sort of going to be able to you know I don't want to say mesmerize but or hypnotize but you know that they're going to be able to sort of twist you into seeing things their way and that's the one thing I think they never really got with Frank is that Frank was too centered Frank was too, you know and, and it could be because of his wife and his child you know he he, he was he had too much of a life in and of himself to ever really be taken in by that. 
um, I think, uh, you know, and, and to to really see their values become his values. That that transference, which is so important um, in the success of a cult, um, the transference of the purpose of the group becoming the purpose of the individual, that never occurs for Frank. He he he, he it's never he and the Millennium Group. I don't think are ever that. Tied in. I, I, I just don't see it. I don't think he's ever taken in by them. I mean, that's just my opinion, but I don't think he is. I don't. I don't, I don't okay. think that transference ever takes place. And so he's he's able as he as he peels back the you know the layers of the onion of the group to see more and more how how bad they are. Not that their enemies aren't bad too. I mean, let's remember you know they they face in season two some some pretty uh, nasty people, Nazis and other things. But that doesn't mean the Millennium Group is good. It just means it right. has competitors. Right? <laughs> well, uh, but you raise a good point, and, and this is something else that might have happened. When you talk about groups or cults or organizations, whatever you want to call them, uh, they, upon introduction, they can say things like, well, don't you want to see this kind of world? And it's like, yeah, and don't you want this kind of the Yeah. And it all sounds real well, but then all of a sudden, now we're going to tell you how we're going to get there, and it's like, whoa, 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 no, we're not doing that. Right. So exactly. they, can, they can, obviously they can corral people because we all would like this, don't we? Or, you know, wouldn't we? And it's yes. Mm-hmm. Well, here's how we're getting there. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. And I think what happened was with Frank, they got, well, first of all, the Millennium Group got good people in. Frank was one of them. And this leads to another question I want to ask you, too, about how they shifted, I think, in uh, the focus of what was going on from national to international. But they get Frank in there. They, you know, they, they back him up. He does good work. And then all of a sudden, it seemed to me that they finally unveiled to him a somewhat more global plan. Mm-hmm. And to me, what I thought was happening was that Frank was like, you guys have been defenders. You've been advocates of, of good. Now, all of a sudden, though, and I think here's what happens. You have a choice. You can be a defender and react upon something happening, or you can get into this world of preemptive strikes to almost make things happen the way you want them to, and that becomes like an unnatural um, approach to to letting the world be the world, if you will. And and we see this also, you know, with just political stuff that's gone on in the last eight, ten years, mm-hmm. about preemptive strikes. It's like, when did the preemptive strikes become instigation? Right. You know, and, and so you, you really now cross um, and, and blur a line, no doubt about it. So going back to Millennium, I think they fed him, they worked with him. I mean, fed in the sense that they nurtured him. And, right. and then what happened was, it was like, okay, Frank, you know, you passed whatever a test we wanted to put you through. And here's where we're really going. And I think he took a look into that particular box and said, eh, I don't know. What do you think? No, I, I think that's a very, very trenchant point. I mean, and it makes a lot of sense. You know, I think that, you know, we, you know, in America, we very much claim to, you know, to, to uphold the, you know, the ideals of freedom and liberty. And sometimes what that simply means is, to be left alone, and there, and there are people who qualify that as, you know, isolationism, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we always hear that argument, well, you can't be an isolationist, you know. You know, they're, they're the people who want to be the policemen of the world, and they're people who just sort of want to mind your own business and live, you know, pursue life, liberty, and happiness. Um, and, and I do think that in the character of Frank, we see someone who is very unassuming, very modest, who loves his family, and wants to protect his family. And I, and I think one... 
one, I don't know, conflict within Frank is this idea of, you know, I, I want to have my work and, and I want to be able to help people in my work. I want to be able to do good deeds. But I also want to be able to just have my peaceful life with my family. Um, and, yeah. and, and, you know, the, those two things, I think, really come into conflict. He can't have both. And, and I think at some point he realizes that the the pursuit of, uh, um, uh, you know, an international agenda or whatever, uh, you know, it's, it's costing him his, you know, his personal life. So, you know, you, you, you know, you, you really do get caught up in what, you know, what, what is freedom, you know, is, is, is freedom ever something that you can impose on somebody else? Um, you know things like that. Um, you, you know, in, in the series, I, I think there's a, there's a lo- there's a lot of that idea. There, there's so many different shades and colors to Frank and and and, and the group and, and sort of their their twisted journey together. Um, I mean, I, I I think you're you know I don't I don't know I, I mean I, I think there is a sense of uh, unfairness when you get like into the idea of preemption. Uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and things like that. It's like, okay, so we're going to attack somebody before they attack us. But so you, you, you're sort of trying to prove a negative. You, you're going to have to prove that someone was going to attack you. But then why didn't they attack you? You know. And yes. yes. You, do you know what I'm saying? You know, sure. What 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 Frank is at his core is somebody who investigates why somebody did what they did. He he gets into their psychology and he looks at why they behaved the way they did. And he can do this by understanding behavior. Um, but yes. by, 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 by the words they leave, by the actions they leave. So, you know, Frank can't, you know, and it, you know it, it's very interesting because I guess in a sense he does preempt killers from killing again, but they've already done so. <laughs> you know, they, he, he, he doesn't find somebody who hasn't done anything and right. then go after them. No, he, but, but it's the group, though, that starts yeah. to look like it wants to intervene or step in yep. before it starts and and there i think he has a problem because it's like well how do you know your vision necessarily is the one that the world wants right um the reason i say this is because here's what what gets me i mean it's like it's like walking down a street and cold cocking somebody and saying the reason i hit him is because if i hadn't hit him sooner or later he would have picked a fight with me <laughs> right exactly so exactly. then all of a sudden you are gifted or every, well people think you are gifted with some kind of divine, if you will, um, insight or vision. And that's a real dangerous thing to attribute to a person or a group. Absolutely. And I think, that, you know, to me, that's what the Millennium Group try to break to Frank. It's like, hey, we know where it's at, and, right. and we're going to go ahead and win fights that nobody even picked with us yet. Right, right. You know, yeah. and, 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 and I think it's appealing at first because at first an idea like that, before you've examined it fully, on the surface, you say, "Look at these people. They're doing what nobody's doing. They're they're looking for the patterns nobody sees, and they're defending us. You know, there, there's some sort of um, sense of uh, you know old west John Wayne machismo yeah. in here, and That's in that, right. you know the idea of we are you know." Society is so burdened down. This was a big thing in the '90s. You heard this all the time. You know, the government's too big. There's, there's too, you know, there's too much bureaucracy. Those things are true, and so we we long for the simplicity. I mean, this is why we've had westerns. It's why we have superheroes today. We long for the simplicity of the one person who comes in and cleans up that mess. Um, and so the idea of to be a part of that crusade is, can be very appealing. But then, you know, it's like, you know, sort of what what's worse, you know, that that huge 
behemoth of an enemy or or that you know you're now associated with someone else who's going to go in and impose their will i mean you you're like replacing one thing with you know another evil um exactly you know, right. so I, I think it's uh you know I think at first it's very appealing to Frank you know he's going to be like I said he's going to be doing good works he's going to be protecting people he's going to be taking criminals off the streets you know th- those are all things we find appeal uh, very appealing and, and worthwhile you know and rightfully so but it's that secret agenda like you said that he sees you know the deeper he gets um which does seem to be more about you know the ends justify the means i mean certainly if i were in the group and i i were there when that schism occurred between the people who thought the world was going to end in 2060 and the people who thought it was going to end in you know 2001 and you know you think they're killing each other although it was a third party i'd say you know what this is you know we're we're, we're you know we're 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 fighting with each other over you know uh, an imaginary apocalypse that hasn't occurred yet, you know, why aren't we out, like, doing something, you know, productive? <laughs> you know? <laughs> why aren't we educating people? You know, why aren't we doing something? You know, instead, all we're doing is having a, you know, a, uh, we're having a piss, you know, we're, we're over our territory, over whose idea is right. Um, but I think, you know, again, I think Millennium is brilliant because I think that's often what happens so much in our culture, especially our political culture, is that, you know, going into... Uh, you know, whatever, we have all these people on one side who think they're right, and then all these people on the other side who think they're right. And, and instead of pursuing, you know, the solution to the big problem, we want to piss on each other and say, well, you're stupid, you know, and, you know, we, but, but what's actually solved by that, you know? One group is in power, and the other group is in power, but what actually changes? Nothing. I mean, I think, you know, looking at the owls and the roosters, you know, it's like a two-party system in the Millennium Group. But, you know, if they really think the end of the world is coming, whether it's coming in 2001 or 2060, why aren't they, you know, you know why aren't they telling people? You know, if you know there's going to be a cosmic event, you know, how about building shelters? I mean, you know, you know what I mean? You can, you can do things besides manipulating people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Well, uh, you know, it's... But, but this, well, one of the things I think um, where the line was crossed, and this played on what would become, and it still probably is to this day, um, a little fear that gets thrown out into the public domain every so often. And, and there's a reason why I say that. But if anybody thinks, if they're, if they're devoted uh, watchers or listeners to uh, broadcast uh, news, be it radio or TV, um, and even if still people read the papers for as long as they're going to be out there, right. you see that there's a there's. I mean, if, if you really sit there and track it, you start to realize that there is this recycling of problems. There's always about five to seven problems that are brought to the public, so they have to be they have to deal with that. They can't deal with anything really more, so you don't give them anything more, but you recycle them. And here's where I'm going with this. I think one of the things that um, it might have been the thing that ticked Frank off was the virus that had uh, gotten uh, loosed, shall we say. Right. Now, remember, this is at a time also, this is pre-SARS. Actually, Ebola had raised its head earlier. Virginia, right, right. Well, you know, real quick, uh, excuse me for this little um, story, but I remember back in the late 80s, maybe 90, 91, at the latest, there was some kind of outbreak in California where they were dealing with the remains of the deceased in like moon suits. And then um, a friend of mine was talking about how one of his classmates, because he had gone to a different high school than I did, though he was the next town over, uh, had a very strange death. I don't know where she was located, whether she uh, was abroad or not. But they, they had a closed casket, and 
what he got out of what was going on is that she basically turned to soup. So that, you know, so I'm thinking back to Ebola. All right, so now we have at least the Ebola that was somewhere around at that time. And, of course, since then we've had the SARS scare, the Hantu virus scare. you got the avian flu. Uh, so that was something that was uh, maybe a little bit known to the public back when, uh, years before a millennium, but certainly would rear its head uh, right. after. And, of course, it, you know, since I think SARS was the first one next uh, on the scene about 2003, and then Hantu's you know, always been around, I mean, you know, rat crap every so often. And the avian is something they throw at us every so. it dealt, they took that virus thing when Frank realized, and I think accurately so, you tell me what you thought, that the, that the Millennium Group had basically allowed that to happen. Mm-hmm. Then he was like, whoa, I'm out of here. Yeah. Uh, and what was the purpose of doing that I, uh, at all? I mean, you know, there is this desire for depopulation in certain high circles, which sometimes I'm, I'm sorry to say, I think radical environmentalism likes to embrace. I mean, now they call it eugenics, but r- regardless, I mean, what's the deal with letting that loose? And, I, and what do you think, John? I mean, I, to me, is when he he realized or he accused the Millennium Group of being a principal in, in releasing that. That's when he was like out of there. Absolutely. I mean, you know, Frank is a. Um, I mean, I mean, in, you know, in some senses, Frank. You know, his values are, are sort of the, you know, the, the very, um, you know, stereotypical, uh, you know, values of the hero. You know, he's not going to be part of an organization that is responsible for killing people. I mean, I think that just crosses a big moral line with him, and 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 rightly so. Um, you know, I mean, he, he loses his wife, and I mean that that's one thing, but I think it would be wrong to color it as simply personal. Um, I, you know, he, his upset comes from the fact that. He's involved with an organization that knew about it, um, let it happen, maybe made it happen. Um, you know, and, and why did they do it? Well, you know, again, we, you know, when we we talk about Millennium, well, one of the things that I love about it is this it's it's this sort of pu- it's this puzzle made on shifting sand, um, yeah. mm-hmm. which I find fascinating because for me that's a metaphor for reality. You know, in reality, do we always know why a you know a plane crashes or you know why you know if you take this road, you know, somebody could you know, could die in a car accident. We, we don't have the answers to those things or, or why a certain thing happens the way it is. And, you know, to me, Millennium is very much that way, is that the, the motives are opaque. You know, was this a test run for another uh, virus down the, down the road? You know, was this just a, uh, you know, controlled experiment, so to speak? Um, yeah, you know, po- exactly. possibly. You know, and w- once you add into the factor the idea that there are shifting um, allegiances and sort of... Um, uh, groups, even within the group, which I, I think is a, a fascinating concept, that you have owls and roosters. I mean, who knows how many other factions there are? Um, you know th- that you know, you know, what one group might have planned that to be a controlled experiment. That you know, group may not be in power anymore. You know, and maybe somebody from another faction is now in power. You know, and when Millennium was on the X Files um, the next year, uh, you know, where they, they tried to wrap up. You know, basically the the concepts of millennium. They said basically that you know the millennium's influence in the FBI had had waned after the millennium, and everyone had had got or at, at, on the eve of the millennium rather. You know, and every they'd all gone underground, like sort of everyone had disappeared. You know, like waiting for the big thing to happen. I mean, that's you know it's really scary. I mean, you think so. What what were they testing then in the late nineties? Different ways to bring about the end. And, it, and if you look at that X Files episode called Millennium, 
um, you have to assume that the um, the roosters, uh, which was sort of Peter Watts' group, the the uh, religious-based group, was the one in charge because they were trying to bring out uh, along this sort of religious apocalypse using necromancy and you know other sort of uh, supernatural means rather than secular you know cosmic means, which was you know the mo of the roosters. I mean, you know, just talking about this, I mean, it's so. Um, Oh gosh, you know it's it's so layered and dense. You know, thinking about about all this, and that's one of the reasons I love Millennium is to think about. You know, if you were in charge or if you were involved in a group that is basically trying to bring about the end of the world because you think that's that's how it should be, that that's how your belief system works. You know, imagine imagine it like an American business. You know, getting you know wanting to compete for various contracts almost. Like, well, how you know. This team over here is working on the end of the world, and and they think we should do it with a virus. So look, we're going to see if that works. And over here we have this team, you know, this special unit that's been looking into necromancy. I mean, it's you know, it's it's kind of amazing. But I mean, really, you know, the, the group is a, a you know this sort of multi-headed hydra. Um, the, 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 you know, you you believe they you know they have so many you know scientific and law enforcement specialists, and the, you know they they must have you know ties to. Um, you know this this legion of demonic people because they have a shapeshifter you know in their employ, you know that they you know that they're capable of you know pursuing multiple channels uh, you know of apocalypse at once. So you know in answer that was a very you know long-winded answer to your question. But you know why did the group you know release the virus? You know it was I've always thought it was sort of a you know a, a test run for you know whatever they were going to do in the end. Um, you know, whatever they they wanted to, you know, that, that they probably had so many different ways of wanting to bring around the apocalypse that, they, you know, that was one they tested. Um, yeah, and you, let me, I have, you know, a little outline here, but I mean, also, uh, please, don't, uh, not to the exclusion of yours, but you just said something that hit me, and I had talked to you about this before, and this is something that's very real in our life today, and that is what you just said about how this group wanted to bring about the apocalypse, we have now. I'm a Christian for whatever that means to anybody else, but um, I have a, a problem with um, what I would call radical right Christianity, which has got nothing to do, as far as I'm concerned, with Jesus Christ. But this bit about what they call um, dominionism, right? And they're going to help out. They're going to help out God. They're just going to help out God and bring about the, the millennium, of course, which is the millennium of peace after the return of Christ. But they want to hasten down Jesus, and it's like, no. No, 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 no. That's why I feel like a Frank Black to them sometimes, because it's like, look, uh, the Lord doesn't need our help, by the way, and uh, we are not to uh, shed blood in his name. But Right. All right. right, so now you see where that's going, and yes. I don't know if, if Carter or anybody else involved with that show was looking at that. I don't know if Dominionism was real palpable then. It might have been. I'm sure it probably was to a certain degree. Right. But now I've... You know, gotten to the point where it's like you guys are making up your own Bible, right? And no, I, that. yeah, yeah. And so, and, and we had mentioned that a little bit before, and it's like, no, you guys, the Lord doesn't need your help. Um, so you know, I mean, He made you because it pleased Him to make you. He doesn't really need you. Uh, and if you to go ahead and uh, to uh, get involved with obviously a, a conflict in His name is not something that He wants. But they seem to just, like, break down all those doors. And I don't know if at that time, like I said, that Carter or whoever was involved with the writing of that show or, you know, saw this. And this was kind of like almost like a little bit of a, a metaphor, if you will, 
Right. I, I have no idea. I don't know, John. I mean, do you? I, I, I never see too much written uh, by Carter or anyone else about some of the themes in that show and what, if there were any points of view he was trying to get across. You know, I think, um, you know, and, and, and I, I don't have any specific, um, you know, knowledge of him, you know, putting one view of the other. I, I just think that Chris Carter, you know, it was an, is, is an extremely well-read, uh, you know, philosophical, intelligent, you know, maker of, of, of this kind of entertainment and art. And, and I think what you see in Millennium, uh, you know, and, and also under the ages of other very good producers and writers like Frank Spotsnitz and, 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 and the folks in the season two who did some changes and stuff, I think what you see is this, um, this idea of almost a smorgasbord of different ideas of the end of the world. And I, but I do think that you're right that, the, you know, the Christian ideas play very powerfully in it because we, we see again and again um, – biblical references and things like that and there's usually a gap between who is using the bible and what we would accept as being um teachings of christ you know people who, right. who sort of pervert the bible to yep. um absolutely to you to you know to, to continue their killing uh -huh. you know, there, there are many people in millennium who who judge others you know in sort of sadistic and weird ways like the the guy who's judging the folks in the gated community in the episode Weeds, and I, I think he's using, you know, biblical prophecy too. He sees himself as a purifier. He's taking on that role. That's right. That is really reserved in Christianity for, um, you know, a higher power. You know, in terms of um, that, what you're talking about. You know, there's also that episode in the third season, which we mentioned a little bit. Forcing the end is the title, yep. and it, and, it, and it plays in some of the Jewish lore an idea about the apocalypse and who will own a certain temple and and who needs to have ownership of that temple for the apocalypse to come and and, and so there are certain factions of man who've decided well if you know if, if if this ethnicity has that temple now if we can give them that temple now then we're that much closer to That's judgment right. day so i think those ideas are absolutely there you're right you've pinpointed them i think they're you know very important to millennium um you know, and, and I don't think it's anything, it's any stretch or read to see them there. I, I, I think, you know, if we were to, you know, take it out of the realm of, you know, Christian or Jewish, you know, what Chris Carter is simply saying is, is that, you know, we we all have visions of what we want, but but it's when we impose that, you know, to the detriment of other human beings, you know, that we've crossed the line, you know, from heaven to hell, so to speak, you know, that we've gone from being angels to devils. And, that, you know, and I think that's the, right. the journey the Millennium Group takes. And certainly they must have. I mean, you know, what, what I find, you know, endlessly fascinating is that, they, you know, they have a shapeshifter, like I said, in their employ. Yeah. They must know that guy is evil, you know. Ha, you know, have they made a bargain with the devil that's to get right. what they want, even mm -hmm. while talking up God and Christ, you know, the roosters. You know, it's very... Yeah. You know, again, it's just, it's it's like a puzzle on shifting sand. You, you know, we yep. we see glimpses of the pieces, but they they you know they disappear before us, and 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 we're left only with um, impressions of the bigger the bigger picture. But I, I like that because um, you know I mean essentially isn't that what our impression of the divine is? I mean, man can never attain really the divine all, all we can get are what we think are glimpses of divine and, and you know we have different ideas about where where do we find that do, do we find that in nature do, you know do we do we, do we find it in, in innocence you know do we find it in children um do we find it in dogma do we you know religious text you know where where do we look for that divine in our life um you know and but but again it's always very opaque and we don't know and and, and many people lose themselves and and lose what they seek by trying to 
concretely figure out that answer, if that makes sense. Well, you know, it does, and it gives rise to a couple of responses, if you wouldn't mind. Um, Frank has um, a good head knowledge of Scripture, which yeah. he reveals in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, the way he behaves in some cases or says things, it doesn't really seem like he's sold out, you know, on... He's looking at Scripture more or less as another book, let's put it that way. And maybe as much as... Uh, yeah, Nostradamus' works or whatever. But anyway, he has a head knowledge of Scripture. Uh, but, you know, the thing is, uh, what interests me is when he talks, and I mean, the show's name is Millennium. And right. in that last um, scene, uh, which, by the way, I've attached to, uh, and people who have already heard it, at the end of the show, of, of, of show number two, I believe it is, uh, where he has that conversation with Jordan after he takes her out of school. Right. And they talk about, you know, will the good guys win, blah, blah, blah. And she also said we're all shepherds. But I don't, you know, it's, it's interesting because what millennium are we talking about? Now, remember they were on the cusp of this millennium that began, actually, it begins in 2001, not 2000, but no matter. Right. Or is he talking about a millennium that comes after the coming of Jesus Christ? It's not right. really clear. We're all probably figuring that it was this millennium we're in right now. Right, but right. still, there's a, there's a duality there, which I'm not so sure. Maybe it depends on who, you know, someone like myself, whatever, would they ever bring into this? Maybe it isn't that evident to anyone else, and it's not because they're not more intelligent. It's just that I've got a mindset, you know, you know, right. whether I have the IQ of an ice cube or not, you know, doesn't matter. <laughs> but um, you know, I often wonder what millennium are we talking about, Frank? But here's the other thing too: talking about the show Millennium and the New Millennium. There was that also, and I thought, you know, Carter, I'm going to put this on Carter, kind of didn't mind that they stoked the people's uh, paranoia or neuroses with the thought about what Y2K would, would do when it was an ultimate, well, it was always a dud to begin with, but everybody all freaked out. And you got some interesting stories about this. I don't, I won't ask which to <laughs> bring out. But, I mean, with regard to the millennium, how do you feel – that show set up uh, the Y2K uh, freakout. Well, um, you know, the first part of that is I, I, I want to tell you, I think you're exactly right about what millennium are we talking about. I mean, I think that's a, a very important point. Is it the millennium that's just ended or the millennium yet to come? And, and what is that thousand years? Is it the thousand years of peace? Is it a thousand right. years of war? I mean, there are all of these kind of things. And, that, and that's why, you know, when people say, well, you... Why would you make a show called Millennium? You know, it's not going to go on past the year 2001. You know, who's going to watch a show in, about Millennium in 2002? Ha, 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 right? <laughs> you know, right. but, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it, you know, of course people would. You, you won't know, be around to see it, okay. Yeah, yeah right, <laughs> exactly, right. Um, you know, about Y2K, I do think that was that was clearly set up. And, you know, I, th- I think I, I told you at, at some point when we talked that, you know, I had learned about Y2K, I think fairly Early, er, earlier than than most people, I, I had a discussion. It was either in '95 or '96, uh, late '95 or early '96, um, with somebody in my family who was in a, a, a computer company um, in New York, and everybody was panicking um, over uh, essentially this thing that was coming down the road. That was, you know, it, it, it was essentially a a fatal glitch, you know, in the um, you know that that represents the technological downfall of man. That you know, it it it's a, it would have been a glitch that you know ran through everything that we had to control 
you know, various systems, water and electricity and nuclear power. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, 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 the you know, <laughs> Y2K fits, you know, the, sort of the perfect end of the world scenario because it reaches into everything. You know, if, if, if it doesn't work right in a nuclear reactor and nuclear reactors blow up, it's the end of the world, you know. It's like, you know, it's not just that your toaster isn't going to work, your microwave's not going to work. It's, you know, it goes into everything. You're not going to have clean water. You know, ATMs won't work, so you can't get money. Gas pump, you know, there's certain computerized gas pumps. You won't be able to get gas for your car. You know, I, I mean... You know, it, it really set up this, um, you know, perfect dynamic for the, you know, the technical, technological downfall of 20th century man. And I think that was um, something that, uh, you know, made a lot of sense at that time. And I understand why Millennium, uh, you know, seized on that in some aspect, because that sort of became the pervasive um, uh, idea or you know the one that one we were all people became consumers is we thought that was how the end was going to come so i i think you know the 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 quality always of good horror or good entertainment is that, that it somehow reflects the the experience we're going through in our lives so when you have you know that third season episode the end of the world as we know it which focuses on the y2k disaster and you know the the series which sort of posits that end of the world being the switch from 1999 to 2000 i mean that's why because we were living that particular fear i mean it's funny because don't we know that what wasn't on new year's eve there's that there was going to be some sort of terrorist attack, but it was thwarted. See, if we had known that, right, <laughs> you know, right. maybe it would have been different. Maybe we would have, but, but in, in reality, nothing happened with Y2K, and there was almost a terrorist attack. Isn't that right? Didn't they catch somebody coming down from Canada on New Year's Eve, 19? There were, there were warnings going through the government about a terrorist attack, but it was, it was uh, stopped at the last minute yeah. by uh, you know that's that's yeah. the story they're telling us yeah yeah so I mean <laughs> yeah, well but 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 but, but, but exactly yeah. but, you know maybe Y two K was too you know Y two K was the story we bought but if things had been slightly different maybe we would have bought a story about uh, you know terrorists you know crossing in from Canada to you know blow up landmarks you know on that and Millennium would have focused more on that but you know as it is Millennium was extremely canny to you know focus on. Um, the Y2K incident, at least one episode, and also, you know, when the date of the apocalypse was, because certainly there were people who knew about that. I mean, I think I knew about that earlier than anybody else, and I mean, you know, I'm not shy to tell you, I um, because, because I heard about it first from somebody that I knew and trusted. I mean, I stocked up on food, sure. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, I thought, I have to have some money in my house, and I'm going to have some... Uh, uh, you know, some food stored. And, and and again, it makes sense. I mean, if you think about what, what again, some of the things that happened in the 1990s, in 1992, we saw the biggest riot in American history occur in American City. I mean, right. you know, there were, uh, you know, what, 10,000 buildings burned. There were, you know, there was billions of dollars of property damage done. Um, you know, it, it just erupted, you know, and, and that wasn't even playing on um, the idea that you can't get what you want. I mean, could you imagine, you know, you know, if people couldn't get gas, if people couldn't get food, if there was no electricity, if there was no running water, it, you know, if, if there were nuclear disasters. I mean, could could you imagine the kind of chaos that would have occurred? It, 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 it's a very um, – I, I think that's an effective end-of-the-world scenario, like I said, because it plays on so many things. It's like it's like a cascade. You can't get your money. You can't get your gas. You can't get your food. Oh, sure. right. You, you know, it's uh – -huh. It's a total destruction of the American way of life, you know, in a second, if you think about that, you know, oh. that, at, that, at that New Year switch over second, it all ends just like that. Everything we built is destroyed. I mean, that's pretty, you know, that's, that's kind of nightmare fodder. Um, and, and, and it has a, you know, I don't know why it didn't happen. I mean, I'm not a computer programmer. I don't know why all those things didn't happen. But it has, 
this sort of surface plausibility to the half-informed. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Sure. Well, you know, um, they did have the countdown through the show. And they never really said what that countdown was about unless you were to assume that, that the countdown were, were, were the, uh, the days before the apocalypse hit. Right. I guess that's what they were saying. You could, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, I did a little math every so often. I'm like, well, that's not really making a lot of sense to me. But the countdown alone gets you edgy because it's a countdown. You know, right. it's got to right. be zero, and then what happens then? Yeah. Um, but you know, let me say this as a public service reminder: uh, really, in this day and age, we get so reliant on all the conveniences, and, and I'm, I'm just saying this editorially: the more we rely on electronics. For convenience, understand it. If they go down, you have nothing, and it's not a bad idea for anybody, wherever you are, to go ahead and store some kind of, obviously storable shelf life, longevity type of foods, and some bottled water or whatever you want to do, just in case. It's not a bad idea to do. It doesn't make you a survivalist. It doesn't make you anything. But you know, we've gotten so lackadaisical. And if something does finally hit the grid or whatever, right. you know, that's what's going to drive people running around getting crazy. And we've seen this, maybe if you uh, might remember this, John, probably around September when things got very strange in the financial community. Yeah. Uh, there were there were a, a lot of conjectures about, well, people will riot and people will do this, which, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, shut up. But the thing is... You have to think about that probability. We're in a brave new world, and I hate to use that phrase right now, and I don't think it's a bad idea to store some stuff so that if, if things get crazy for one to four weeks, you know, you're, you know, you're not running around, you know, busting in storefront windows trying to get food or something like that. So, you know, really what you did, honestly, I mean, you beat me to the punch, too, because I've done that, too, and I'm living in Florida. With hurricanes alone, you should do that kind of thing. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, and since, uh, since Y2K, we had, we did have the SARS scare. We, we had that, we, we had 9-11. And remember, after 9-11, they were telling us to buy plastic, uh, to hanging plastic so that we could tape our houses up if there were, do you remember all this? And, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, we, we seem to have hit on the, on these things. And, you know, I always just keep a couple bottles, bottles of water and some, some canned food, like on a rotating basis, you know, that, so yeah. that it's not, uh, Expired. I mean, it, it is just a, it, it is just a good idea because so much of what we depend on, um, you know, we don't control how it gets to us. And, and an- another little example of that, um, and this was not widely reported, although you can see an item on my blog. Um, it, it's not labeled, but if you were to go back to the time of Katrina in North Carolina, we basically ran out of gas and start and things oh, yeah, started that's getting. Oh, right. I remember. Holy mackerel! Yeah. Things. I, I, listen, it went on. It, it happened for like a day, and things got nuts here. I mean, there were there weren't just gas lines, but there were people like siphoning gas out of other people's cars online. I mean, it was getting really. No, I, I mean, I know. you know, you know, you, you know, for a reminder of how fragile things can be. I mean, seriously, you know, you, you know, people if people think they can't get gas, and you know, where to they want to go, and you know, things like that. It, I mean, it gets scary. I mean, it, was, it took one day in Charlotte, North Carolina, for people to be trying to siphon gas out of other people's gas tanks, you know? It was, uh, you know, and it wasn't reported at all in the national media. Well, I, I tell you what, I, that, no, I, I, I do remember that. Um, yeah, well, listen, I, I go back to the uh, 73 gas crisis. That's the reason why there's lockable gas caps was because of that. Right. Because late at night, you'd have people going out siphoning and stuff, and uh, even, 
even now, my wife and I talk about if it ever happens again, we have to park our vehicle so tight that both uh, gas flaps are against each other so they can't get in there. And then some, some guy goes, ah, screw that. You know what they do? They go underneath and they drill right into the tank. I mean, forget the sparks. <laughs> and I'm like, well, if they're, willing to, you know, if they're willing to get ignited over that, that's fine. Anyway, well, but, you know, yeah. it, you know, it brings me to a, that, that, that exact point is that, um, you know, again, uh, it, it's just, it, it's just prudent, let's say. Um, I, I do keep, I always keep a little gas tank in my shed. You know, I, yeah. I, I use it for my lawnmower, but I always make sure it's full so that, you know, if I were to, you know, to have to make, you know, an end run, you know, to, you know, to the Muir compound where my parents live, you know, in, in case of disaster, you know, that I get my son and my wife there. I mean, now some people are going to say you're nuts, but, but let me tell you that that day. Yeah, you won't be nuts, you, you won't be nuts when it, when the deal goes down. Right, exactly, and you know, people are going to say I'm paranoid, but, but I mean, it, it is kind of scary if you think about how, how, how everything is just sort of given to us, you know, how we don't, we don't hunt or, you know, for, for our own food, we don't, many of us don't have gardens, um, you know, that we, we wouldn't have hot or running water, you know, it, it's like, wow, you know, really, we, That's right. we, 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 we live this, it, I, I always refer to it as a sort of a technological, magical existence, you know, we turn on the water, we, you know, we flip a, a little lever and water comes on magically That's in right. our houses, right. you, know, yep. you know what I mean? I and, you know, and and um, and we've grown up believing that's a guarantee that that's every time we turn that it's gonna that's going to happen. That's right. You know, and or that every time we need gas, you know, it's going to be there. But you know, certain events happen that make you say um, that's not necessarily true. And, and and I think the brilliance of Millennium is that, like some other really good science fiction and, and TV series, is that it. It sort of understands what the pitfalls of our existence are. I mean, it, and it kind of tweaks your fear over those things. I mean, it, you know, in, in however many sixty-seven episodes or whatever, we, we see a lot of end-of-the-world scenarios played out. Um, you know, averted or or not averted, as in the case of the virus. And so it's like, man, you, you know, it, it's all done with such um, straight-faced uh, plausibility. That it really does give you pause. I mean, I love it. I mean, I, you know, listen, uh, I like horror, um, you know, and, and, and to me, you know, that's com a completely worthwhile way to do it. Um, and, and I think Millennium is good because um, it, 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 it plays on this fear, I think, that we all have subtly that, you know, thing, things could fall apart. You know, that the, the social contract, you know, is one thread away from being, you know, unwoven. Undone, so that's right. Yeah. And Millennium just does it very artistically and brilliantly, I think. Uh, one last tongue-in-cheek comment to, to inject a little levity into this uh, interview, and that is, uh, folks, if it does hit the fan, what you want to do beforehand is to go up to whatever store and buy bulk toilet paper and paper towels, and you can sell that as a commodity and do all right. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, excuse me, but... Uh, anyway. uh, no, I mean, those are the things we're going to need. That's right. right. Do not ever underestimate the financial power of toilet paper and uh, paper <laughs> towels. Uh, but moving along, I, I want to throw this out to you, too, because uh, it, to me, to me, and I, I bring this back to Carter, because Carter is the guy that was the father, supposedly, of, of the, um, not only the X-Files, but the Lone Gunman, which I think was also a short, sweet, and well-done series. Oh, I love it, yeah. Yep. You know, and, uh, and I, I think sometimes he... Uh, did things deliberately to more or less give you a somewhat um, perhaps cushioned elbow in the ribs. 
<laughs> and it's when uh, Jordan started, we, we are all shepherds. To me, that reminded me so much of a trigger phrase. You know what I mean? Right. That is, is connected with the CIA Manchurian candidates that either flips somebody into your alter uh, or your other uh, personality or takes you out. Uh, it also reminds me, do you remember the Star Trek, the old Star Trek with uh, Shatner and the boys? When they were walking around, everybody was like zomboid, and they go, it is the will of Landrew. Yeah. Do you remember <laughs> yeah, that? The, the Red Hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It I love it. The will the of Return Landrew. of the Archons. Yeah. And when she said that, we are all shepherds. I'm like, oh, man. Um, and also, we have that, that uh, movie out with Matt Damon called The Good Shepherd. Uh, right. You know, all about the CIA. And, and I can only say this one thing, and this is me saying this, and that is if, if Hollywood is going to show you a movie, uh, give you a movie about the CIA, uh, take it with a grain of salt to a certain extent because, boy, I tell you, you got two, two entities that deal with the surreal, the real, and behind the curtain. That's Hollywood and the CIA. <laughs> i got to watch that a couple of more times because I looked at my wife. I'm going, what's going on with this? I mean, all right. Let me try it because there's fact mixed in with fiction and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, uh, the we are all shepherds thing, I, I don't know. i got to believe that Carter was sniggling behind his hand by you know, throwing I, that in there. You know, I don't know. You know, I, it, it could have just been that, you know, it, it's very hard when you're making a TV series or a film. Um, to and Because and, I've, I've made some low-budget stuff. And it's very hard when you're editing to know when you said something enough once too much or not enough okay, you want you you want to make sure the person gets what you're trying to say but you don't but want to you, insult the audience yeah but if you oversell right. it and, right. and it sounds to me like you might think they were overselling that a little bit like maybe you know instead of instead of us like sort of organically getting the the message that Frank and Jordan and others that they and and, and and you know taking the allegory to us that we're all shepherds if we all take care and take care of each other we'll be okay which is a very positive message but if you hear it once too often I see what you're saying you're seeing it's, it's like it's some it's like it's like triggering the sleeper agents or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying. Maybe it's sure. because I, you know, I, I for for me, it's just you know, as I, I think I mentioned at one point, I always see Jordan as a very um, you know positive character. Um, and and you're you know maybe that I don't know I could be completely wrong maybe that was going to be the trigger for the fourth season was that they got into Jordan you know then that, that you know but but I don't think so you know I, I think what you know what they're trying to say is simply to convey that message and maybe they did so in in this case you know once too often maybe a hair <laughs> heavy handedly of that listen you know the world is a bad place but if if we you know if we all just try to take care of each other you know it'll be a better place you know what I'm saying well. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying your interpretation is wrong. I could, no, I'm just saying that God, I, I hope, I hope not, because you know, I look at Jordan as you know the hope for the future. So I, I hope they haven't gotten to it. Well, well, to me, it, it, all right. And of course, I have no reason to believe this. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat fooling, except that I just that thing stuck out, and I'm like, uh, all right, I think I get it. But if I were Mel Brooks <laughs> running that scene, I, I would have Jordan. Like Madeline Kahn, look to the look to the camera, you know, in a single shot, and wink, <laughs> wink, nod, nod. You know? Right, right. So it's, uh, it, for you, it was it was it was like a little too on the nose, which you know, mostly Millennium didn't do. You know, mostly it was not you know so on the nose that Agreed. you were like, oh wow, you just you know you slapped me with that point, and now I'm kind of reeling. You know, I mean, usually it was, you know it was very subtle, but it, it could just be in that instance that you found that 
to be too obvious or too reminiscent of something else. That, uh, <laughs> or else I'm a Manchurian candidate and it triggered me, <laughs> which is why I'm doing the show now. So somebody's going to have to tell me we are all shepherds after this so I can get out of this mode. Um, <laughs> right. But back, back to the serious nature, and, and that is something that somebody uh, had emailed me about, and I, I was um, been derelict to, to send it along. Wanted to talk about the symbology and the most obvious of it, and that was the Millennium Group uh, logo, if you will. And right. I'll let you run with that, and we'll take it to where that brings us to the real Millennium Group. Go ahead, John. Right, right. Well, the the symbol of the Millennium Group is this snake eating its own tail, and that's called the Ouroboros. Um, and, and it goes back, uh, I believe, to sort of medieval times. Sure. And, yeah. And, and what it was about was sort of the cycle in li- of life and death, and it was about how things repeat. I mean, it's a symbol without an end and without a beginning. It's like the past devours the future, devours the past, which, which you know, which makes a lot of sense because as we move forward, you know, the, the past is devoured. It's sort of consumed into oblivion, and we don't remember it. But as soon as you fail to remember the past, because of human nature, it repeats itself. So it's like you're living the past. You know, so the so the Ouroboros is this cycle of of the past and the future intermingling and and life and death intermingling. It's, it's the cycle. Um, and and also, you know, of course, a snake is a serpent, and, and the serpent is traditionally the symbol of, uh, of evil, of Lucifer. You think of, uh, you know, the, um, the, the serpent uh, in, in the Garden of Eden story. Um, in, in Millennium, uh, in the hand of St. Sebastian, they have a, uh, that's a two-part episode where they, the, the Ouroboros is found uh, as a tattoo right. on, a, on a Millennium group figure in uh like the 900s AD, and they they talk there about snakes in the open and snakes in the grass, and you know it's it, it basically they say something. It's, it's not the snake in the open I'm worried about. It's the snake in the grass, meaning it's not the enemy you know that you have to fear. It's the enemy you don't know. Um, so so all of that plays into the symbol there, and, and it, it is interesting because a millennium would occasionally do some things that you know it, it makes it a little bit hard for continuity. Um, for instance, we we see that the sim, that symbol exists uh, in the 990s. I think it was 998, I guess AD, in the hand of Saint Sebastian. But then we get an episode in the third season. That was a second season episode. Then in the third season episode, we see uh, the FBI and Hoover drawing that symbol and creating the Millennium Group, like in the 1940s. So you're saying, wait a minute, what's that, what's that about? That? Yeah. So I, you know, you know the the. Um, the continuity person, you say, well, that's a continuity error, you know, cause, because it can't, both things can't be true. But then, but then, but, you know, maybe both things can be true. Maybe Hoover was part of it and, and revived it. You know what I'm saying? Sure. It's, it's, it, you know, it's very interesting. And the Millennium does that at another point, too, because it has two fates for one character. I don't know if you noticed this, but CCH Pounder plays this forensic specialist, um, Cheryl Andrews. And she, she bit, yeah, go ahead. She betrays Frank right. and the group in the second season episode that I'm talking about. The hand of Saint Sebastian is taken away by authorities, but then in the third season we find out that the Millennium Group has killed her for discovering one of its secrets, one of its sort of technological secrets, and then and then they find her skull in that uh, killing grounds um, in um, Fingus, Maine, I think it was, in the episode Skull and Bones. So we have like two distinct fates or ends for um, for that character, which I think is, again, it's either a contradiction or it's not. <laughs> it's either a continuity error or there's something deeper. Again, it's the, sh- the shifting sands on which Millennium is written and which we try to solve this puzzle, but it, it's, it's very interesting. That gets us a little bit off the point of symbology. So let me go back to the Ouroboros. Right? Now, you, you know, well, tell me, what is the symbol of the real Millennium Group? Well, 
all right, but you know, first of all, and, and you raised a lot of good points. The uh, the dual endings of um, of the woman who was the uh, she was a medical examiner, was she not? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and she did tournament. I mean, let me just ask you before we go any further. How did you take that uh, that dual ending? I mean, did you think uh, that could not have been, as you had mentioned before, that could not have been a, a, a breach in continuity? Was, was that something where do you think that was a tweak? Uh, and just doing something kind of arcane, or, or do you believe that that was all in line and just looked at, shall we say, from a different perspective? Yeah, that's what I tend to think. You know, you know. I mean, again, I, I'm, I'm going to attach it to the symbol, the symbol of the Ouroboros. But Millennium, in a way, it gives us new revelations about our history, about our future, about endings, about things. It's like constantly eating itself almost. And see, I see this as an example of like devouring itself, devouring its passing. What you think you know, you don't know. Because this is what happened. You, right. you had this information last year, and this is sure what it looked like, but you know what was really going on? You had no idea. And, and now we're telling you what happened. And, and, and like I said, it's, it's like a way of like sort of devouring and, you know, reprocessing the past. And that's another reason why I love Millennium. I, th- I think it does that a lot. I mean, you look at the episode um, uh, with where they where Frank uh, finally gets the Polaroid killer. It's the season two premiere, the beginning and the end. And we, we thought sort of one thing about the Polaroid killer um, through the whole first season. And then, like, we learn new things about him and, wh- and why he's doing it in the second season. It's like the, the new past has overwritten... The, what we thought was the old past, you know, what was the official story is not the really the official story anymore. You know, I, I think it's, Millennium does that on a number of occasions, um, and I find that very interesting. I mean, even the character of Peter Watts, as you and I have discussed in previous interviews, um, he, you know, he he, he changes. It's, it's like it's, it's like he's overwritten. You know, he's he starts out as seeming like a moral person, and he's a, a sort of an ambiguous person, and he ends up as an immoral person and you start to see based on your new information of him how you could interpret all the old episodes in a different way it's interesting well then then this would make sense to a certain degree too and that is i mean to a a a great extent nothing with the exception of frank black all right now i know this is a very sweeping statement and, and shoot at it but then it would seem that nothing except frank black was what it seemed to be, whether it was Peter, whether it was the Millennium Group, whatever it is, they yeah. dealt with almost gossamers or shapeshifters yeah. or whatever. Nothing seen, nothing appears, nothing is as it appears to be, or it won't be the next time around. Everything was up for grabs, I think, except for Frank. I I agree with you. I totally agree with you. That that, that I think that's an important and you know very. You know, insightful statement about the series. He he is our rock. He is the only thing to hold on to. And again, it's interesting how form reflects content because we discussed a little bit how Millennium it didn't change formats, but it did change the kind of stories it told over the three years. Yeah. You know, that yeah. like you said, it it went from like being very sort of personalized and national, and like what's happening in America, what do these serial killers represent, to in the second scene season being almost some episodes being more fantastical like the one we mentioned with the demons somehow satan got behind me and and then also international like you said we you know we're going to russia you know we're doing this we're doing that you know we're, we're tracing yep. you know relics from you know a thousand years ago you know it, it it did it did change so you're right so it's like the only thing ultimately to hold on to that rock 
our our rock is Frank Black, definitely. Right. You know, and and perhaps Jordan too. Um, you know, I, I think that um, you know a, a clever um, Chris Carter, um, you know, would make a Millennium movie uh, featuring. Frank Black and his adult daughter, who you have to assume is going to have some of the same qualities, you know, um, you know, countenancing something that the Millennium Group is doing now. You know, I think Jordan Black was clearly in line to inherit from Frank, um, you know, some aspect, yeah, yeah, of his insight and gift. Right, right, definitely. Um, And and just on that, uh, because it makes me think back now. Do you think uh, Catherine? realized and was extremely ambivalent because she loves her daughter without a doubt, but do you believe that there was some kind of torturous ambivalence in the fact that she realized that the thing that dogged her about her husband, she knew it going into the marriage, blah, 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 that he was what he was and such a pain character that she actually gave birth to the continuation of that same uh, force. Yeah, I, I I think that's there between the lines. I definitely do. There there is often an unspoken tension, I think, between Frank and and Catherine. And and I, you know, I don't, I don't want anyone to accuse me of, of being you know um, <laughs> a misogynist or anything. But I think most of it does arise from her. You know, Fra- Frank is very loving. He's very um, he's very deferential to her. Like there's one episode where. She says, I want to sell the house. He says, oh, I don't want to sell the house. And she says, we're selling the house. And he says, okay, I'll call a real estate agent. You know, he's, yeah. he's, you know what I mean? He's, he, he's very deferential and loving to her. Um, and, and she's a little more hard on him. She, she hits him with some toughies oh, yeah. in the series, you know? She really does. And you have, to, you have to wonder, you know, what's between the lines. I mean, one story which we never got, which I would love to see, of course, it would be very difficult to do, because people age, <laughs> I would love to see the story how they got together. I find Frank and Catherine a fascinating couple because he is, he, he he's much older than her. Um, you know, uh, hmm. he uh, I think I think Frank Black is a uh, you know I think he's a wonderful character. I think Lance Henriksen is one of the. I think he he he's very attractive in an unconventional way. Oh yeah. Um, you know, you, you know, again, I, I'm not trying to diss him in any way. You look at you know David Duchovny on the X Files. You know that you know there, there's sort of you know the sort of run of the mill uh, physical attractiveness, and then there's somebody who's interesting to look at. You know, yeah, and, 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 You know, and 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 Lance Henriksen is the latter. Um, I mean, I find him endlessly fascinating to watch. But but why did Catherine choose to marry him? What was what was the attraction between us two? How did they meet? How did they fall in love? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, wouldn't you like to know? Yeah, I mean, that's to, a good point, and it's, uh, I've got all kinds of really bad visuals going through on this. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you already saw her naked, so his <laughs> 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 visions. No, I'm sorry. Oh, I know. Oh, said, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, that you, really you know, is. Well, it, it, who knows? It, it would be interest. It would be interesting to know. I mean, you know, Frank is is an attractive person. I mean, he's a moral person. He's a uh, he's a good person. He, he's a good father. He, you know, I think he's he's a good husband to her. Uh, but but again, he's he he's not the run of the mill guy. You know. Um, no. <laughs> so it would be interesting, especially especially in sort of '90s America. Like you got to assume she came out of college with her degree. You know, how, how did they? You know, with her psychology, how did they meet? You know, what did how, what was that maybe, all about? Maybe he went to a dance up in Smith College. <laughs> yeah, but or he, Vassar. He, what? But he, you know, he, even that, I find it impossible to picture 
you know, Frank is such a not-on-the-make kind of guy. You know, you have to meet, I mean, you know, when you imagine how they met, you just know she had to go to him, you yeah. know, because because the idea of oh. him going to her in his head would have seemed sort of like, you know. Yeah, but it's a profile. He already knew she was going to do that, so, you know. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Um, no, <laughs> no you, you raise a good point, but, you know, obviously, uh, I, I find in him, like as I told you the last time, uh, talking about uh, when David Jansen was in the series The Fugitive, and was that brooding, dark hero, mm-hmm. almost an anti-hero. Yeah. Uh, and that's what, what uh, uh, Henriksen was, um, and he, he did a really great job. And, but they both were empaths, I think, to a certain point, and that might have been the commonality, except she was a healer, and he was a, hmm, I'd go find her, if you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, yep. Hey, so, yeah. Um, no, go ahead. No, no, no. I know. I, th- I just think I think it's very interesting. I mean, you know, I, I was thinking when I was listening to the first thing. Oh, you know, I don't want him to think I'm, you know, I'm dissing Lance Henriksen when I say he's not traditionally attractive. I'm just talking about, you know, stereotypes of what sort of television presents to us as attractive. Um, you know, and, and, and I think that range is much too limited. You know, I think what you know yes, television is. is always selling us is you know the young guy and the young gal, you know, who well, who look like underwear models. And you know, one of the reasons I like Millennium is that you know it doesn't talk down to us and say you know this has to be your definition of attractive and you know what I talk about you know Lance Henriksen I, I don't want anyone to interpret that as me you know somehow dissing or saying anything I mean obviously he he's got he's he's got looks and charisma and other you know he he's, he's got all these great qualities um, otherwise he he wouldn't be so successful in Hollywood but no. but he's not Mulder you know he's not no he's not he's, a pretty boy. He's, exact. That's right. it. That's a good way of saying it. That's a good way of saying. It. I just, I just want to make that clear because I'd hate anyone to think I was putting him down. That, but um, that guy exuded strength, and I will tell you this: yeah. um, being a hot-blooded, temperamental type, I was watching how he handled certain situations where mm-hmm. you know I would have got him just pop the guy. Exactly. And, but Lance, like, said like two things and left, and it was like, whoa, yeah. that, that was great. <laughs> and he, he's and, able without attitude to put people in their place with you know just two. Two chosen, you know, well-chosen words. You know, it, it, it's really wonderful. No, he never ever uh, said anything incendiary. Whatever, whatever he did in in a hostile situation, he diffused it. Right. And let's not forget this also. And that's one of the things too. Uh, and as I know that some people have uh, contacted you, at least as we're we're doing the show now, uh, with the first show being up there. Right. Who are devotees of that show? Let's remember that's good writing and that's good good acting. Yeah, absolutely. And good direction. And, and, so, I mean, yeah. they sold it. And that's one of the things I love about Millennium because I think, well, and I'll, I'll go into that a little bit later about w- the quality of the show itself. But you had mentioned something if we can go back to, and that is the symbology involved. And the one thing I find unsettling is that the Millennium Group was good. Why in the heck use what looks, which has always been affixed as a symbol associated with occultism, uh, yeah. demonic, satanic uh, lore? And that is the Ouroboros, right? Right. But right. then it gets better <laughs> because <laughs> I had threatened to send uh, John. Um, I was going to rip uh, an audio part of 22 minutes of the real Millennium Group people talking about what they do. Um, whatever reason, I couldn't get it done. And it was 22 minutes, and it wasn't really all that sexy. Although, what I think people should know about, and, and what I'm going to say now, is that the Millennium Group is based on the Academy Group. And, folks, if you want to go to that website, you can do so by going to www.academy-group.com. And you'll find um, the real Millennium Group, of whom 
of which, excuse me, several members were in this 22-minute bonus coverage involved with the box set of the Millennium Series. And that's what I endeavored to rip the audio from. It's not going to work, but I tell you what, you know, I'd like you to hear it, but as far as the folks listening to it, it wasn't really any big deal. But I think what, what has to be known is that the Millennium Group is patterned after a real group, and that's the Academy Group. Uh, and their symbol, which again strikes me as being very duplicitous, or at least, yeah, duplicitous, or has a duality of its own too, and that is, it also is a symbol associated with demonry and Satanism, and that's the Red Dragon. Now, they explain, those members of the Academy group that are in this bonus coverage in the box set, that it's it, it comes from the Harris book about Hannibal Lecter. And you could do you can go to Wikipedia and just plug that in. And Harris takes it from William Blake's paintings about the Red Dragon. And it's like, okay, I understand what this is all about. I understand the connection with Harris and his books. And these guys are profilers and, and behavioral, I wouldn't call them modificationers, but um, scientists. Right. But the thing is, why in the world, if you're good guys, just use that? And I mean, go, go to the site, folks, and look at it for yourself. The group began in 1989. And it's like, why would you use that? I mean, that's unsettling to me. And you've got to <laughs> take a look. John, what's your thoughts on it? I mean, however that should be. Well, you know, I did go to the Academy Group uh, website, uh, you know, just out of curiosity, and, and I saw one of the images on the front page was blood spattered on a computer keyboard. I, that. <laughs> I thought, wait a minute, this is, this is a little dark. <laughs> you know, I, I saw the dragon and I saw that. I saw the blood spattered on the keyboard, and I thought, wow. Um, you know, it, and my first thought was, are they selling fear? You know, what what, what are they selling? Um, you know, I, I don't have any reason to, uh, you know, I, I, let me put it this way. Um, I, I'm not, I don't, I don't know really much about them in real life. You know, I, what I do for a living is, you know, interpret and analyze, so, you know, film and television for, you know, symbols and themes and, you know, things like that. So, you know, I'm, I'm no expert on, uh, on, on the real academy group, but, but I will say just in terms of imagery that it's, um, it, it, it leaves itself open to one the argument either that it's inept um, be, because the, the the image is evil of the, of the dragon and then there's the blood on the keyboard which makes you think oh okay they don't know what it means you know so it's it's either inept or or you could argue that that that's intentional and that makes you afraid <laughs> so they, they they what they need is a good PR person to give them some better a better logo and some better images to uh, to put up there. Um, you know, like them helping people or something. <laughs> you know, again, it's like, <laughs> the don't don't sell. You know, don't don't sell blood spatters. You know, don't uh, don't don't sell that stuff. You know, <laughs> we, we don't want to see that. Don't, don't give us you know imagery of serpents and dragons. Uh, you know, let's let's see some happy faces because you know you caught a killer or something. But uh, that, no, that's but, not that's not what's there. No, and again, the, the, well, they were uh, created in '89, which means they were around, obviously, for what, maybe six years right. uh, before Millennium came out. And um, I mean, Carter said that he's talked to him, and also it's been reported too that Carter uh, has connections with CIA people. And I mean, I, I wouldn't say that that's necessarily alarmistic, because let's face it, I mean, shows like JAG, for instance. Um, actually consult with people who are involved in certain Absolutely. cases. And we had somebody at St. Leo University uh, who was working in criminology, and uh, he was contacted because he act they wanted to do something on the case that he served as, 
as Jag, as a Jag. And so, so what's the big deal? Okay, not really a big thing. But my, my question is, as, as I look back at all this, and that is the Millennium Group symbol was questionable in my mind. If, right. you're gonna be, if you're the good guys and you wear the white hats. But it's based on the Academy Group, which uses, again, a very unsettling symbol throughout right. time. You know, guys, you could have picked anything you wanted to. But why'd you pick that one? So, right. you know, it, it, and that's real world. I mean, we're talking about a real life thing here. And, and that's why, you know, it's like, hmm, how much of what Carter gave us or what Millennium gave us wasn't really true. Well, you know, it's it, it's very interesting. I've always I've always wondered about the Academy Group um, because it, you know if, if they're you know let's you know give them the benefit of the doubt and say they're just you know good people trying to solve crimes. You know, it, I, then you kind of have to feel sorry for them because it's clear that they were the model for Millennium, and the you know Millennium turned the you know the Millennium Group, you know they, yeah. they turned their model into something very dark and menacing. You know that that, that you know. If it's just what it says it is on the surface, and you got to feel sorry for them, and 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 if it's not, and I have no way of knowing that, or or you know, I don't mean to you know imply any wrongdoing, but if if that's the case, then then it's like, wow, Millennium was really telling us something, huh? Right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I, like I said, you know, that that's a field I don't know as much about. I I just have to admit, I I, I did click over to the site and I saw the blood splatter on the keyboards as as sort of one of their little logos, and I thought that's that's just really dark, isn't it? <laughs> what John's referring to is if you go into the home page, they have a triptych with images changing in all three uh, sections. And one of them, usually when you come in, you'll come to the uh, blood on the keyboard. It'll go to other things which are ex extremely, I mean, you know, unsettling, I would say. But obviously, if they're selling those, their uh, services as fighting the bad guys, then what they're giving you is images of the bad guys. Right. But, uh, right. again, like I said, uh, the fact that they uh, would use the Red Dragon, and anybody can do a search on what that's about, and they can decide for themselves. I just think that it... You could have used something else, and what is that really telling us? And I don't think we'll really ever know. But also, this this makes me think about Carter also, because the X-Files, Millennium, Lone Gunman, uh, there was a lot of truth told in that, and a lot of it was spun also in a sense where people who were watching it strictly as entertainment could take it as such and think right. that this doesn't really go on. And yet I have to admit, uh, without going on about it, that there was a lot told that was accurate. And you, you know, and, and and I would have to say, you know, Carter is a very clever, a clever storyteller, um, and I think that's the reason why I th all those three shows. And I would ask you also, I think that both, all three of them were, were good. I think obviously X Files, uh, you know, stuck around a little too long, but but there was a lot of meat in all those shows. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, Chris Carter for me. You know, without making any bones about it, he, he's up there for me with uh, you know Gene Roddenberry who created Star Trek, or or Rod Serling who created The Twilight Zone. Um, you know, he's I, I think he's a brilliant creator. I think he's a brilliant writer, and I and I and I think he's actually also a very gifted uh, director. Yes. Um, you know, and, and all three of his shows. Um, you know, I mean, we, we've had I guess they began in '93 and. You know, essentially went through maybe 2002, 2003, something like that. Right. Um, you know, that that was a very interesting time in American history, and so he he was there, you know, commenting on these things. And if you look a lot across a lot of the Chris Carter shows, 
um, you know, the various episodes, you, you do see some, you know, these commonalities popping up. You know, there are a lot of episodes about people in cults. Uh, you know, like we talked about earlier, there's, you know, there was sort of a, a Waco episode of the X-Files. Um, you know, but there was an earlier one called Red Museum about, uh, you know, about a different cult. You know, there were, you know, he, it, 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 it's funny how he, 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 he was able to really, well, let me put it this way. It's easier for me <laughs> as somebody, you know, sitting back in my office in 2009 to look at his programs and be able to, with some knowledge of history, say, look, look how this, look how what this was referring to, look how this comes out, look, look how this says about who we are, you know, in this time in American history in the 90s. It's easier for me to do that than it is for somebody who's living in that time to be able to create stories to like to be able to sort of understand in 1995 or 1997 or 1999 sort of what the zeitgeist is of that time and be able to reflect that back at you at that time i mean that that's the gift of an artist or a a really talented artist to be able to do that i mean i you know i don't make any bones about that's not what i do i mean i'm I'm just you know i'm just somebody who's who's able to look at the history and and make a, a connection between what was going on in reality and 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 what chris's carter's entertainment was telling us but what he did was much greater. What he did was, you know, reflect to us as we were living in it. Um, you know, and sometimes ahead of the point where we were living in it, uh, you know, some very fascinating things about American culture and history and where we were in that moment. And I think that makes him a very sensitive creator, you know, somebody who, who, who clearly sort of was picking up on, you know, what was happening in the culture or, or even what was burgeoning in the culture what hadn't quite come up to the top yet um you know i, I think it's very interesting you know I, I don't really know about his contacts um you know inside the government or things like that but you know it, 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 if you want your breath you know taken away you go and you watch that uh, lone gunman episode the, the pilot about um yeah in march 2001 about the plane that's bearing down yeah, right, remotely about, controlled on the on the world trade center yeah, about a point. Exactly, exactly, and it gives you the it gives you the target, it gives you the motive, and it gives you the perpetrators. Um, <laughs> or you know, uh, yeah. let's say you know possible perpetrators. And you know, again, you know, people will want to say, well, you know, of course that's crazy, but I, you know, I, I don't know. There, there are just so many interesting things about what he does. He he he's able to somehow locate in in people's psyches what their fear what what sort of their relevant fears are and then craft shows that very um not exploitatively but very intelligently yeah. and and very artistically reflect those fears back at you and I, and I i just think that's the gift of a um like i said a very sensitive artist i mean you know gene gene roddenberry what he did was he was able to give us sort of a vision of the future that was very positive and optimistic at, at a time when the present looked very, you know, pessimistic. And you right. know, that was a great thing, to say the future is going to be better. What Rod Serling did was, um, you know, really examine what our morality was. Uh, you know, Chris Carter is a little different, but in that league, I think, um, for for being able to, to sort of show us what our fears are and, and, and reflect them back at us and, and be able to make some statement on them. Because Frank does make... Um, some very interesting observations about our fears, about the climate of fear we live in, um, in uh, Wide Open, the episode Wide Open, or in the episode Single Blade of Grass, when he discusses, well, what if we 
what if we want to see happen does happen will we want it i mean you know it just very you know very interesting observations uh, about human nature and about you know about who we are in that period of time um you know, I think it's a startling body of work because, yeah. you know, Gene Roddenberry, I, you know, he he didn't get to do another series really after Star Trek. I mean, he did Star Trek The Next Generation, which was sort of more of the same thing. Um, you know, and Rod Serling was able to, to do Night Gallery, but he didn't really have creative control. Um, so, you know, I like Night Gallery a lot, but it can be occasionally hit or miss. Um, uh-huh. You know, his episodes are very good, but some aren't. So you're saying, um, and I know there's just a, a little sidebar, but you're saying that you found there was more meat, and I think I did too, in Twilight Zone. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There's more okay. meat. I, fa- I found that. And, you know, but, but what Chris Carter has done is give us um, sort of, you know, three different series that, that he oversaw that, while connected, um, also show us diff- very different kinds of things. Because, you know, I mean, you know, the X-Files, listen, I could go on about how brilliantly that's constructed, the idea of taking two people with opposing lenses or worldviews, you know, then co- debating right. every single questionable thing. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's brilliant. You know, yep. You've got the believer and the skeptic. You've got, you've got science versus belief, and then you pit them at each other, and you throw every single myth and legend at them in history and argue the scientific yes and the belief yes, the scientific no and the belief no. I mean, that's brilliant. That's, that's a brilliant construct. And, and you, are, you know, Millennium, too, is, is brilliantly constructed. I, you know, Lone, Lone Gunman, I, I also like very much, and I, th- I think it earns a place in history simply because of that pilot episode. Um, well, I'm, you know. I missed uh, both Millennium and Lone Gunman when it went off. I'm like, what? It's, yeah. it's done already? I mean, I was, right. I was more than primed for a whole lot more. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and yeah. before we, we do a little uh, RIP on, um, on uh, Millennium, do you remember, though, that not long after Millennium died, that another show popped up, which had, like, I don't know, I think it dropped like a brick. I don't know how many shows there were, but, but Lance popped up again in the military, and uh, there was another character that came uh, from uh, uh, one of Carter's previous shows. Uh, who's the guy, who's the bald-headed guy with the glasses and X-Files who's always busting uh, Mulder and, and uh, Scully? Oh, Mitch Pelegi? Yeah, he That's... pops up, too. I think he's in there as well. Do you, you know remember talk- that? Yeah, what you're talking about, it, it's a Chris Carter series. It was the yeah. series he did between Millennium and, you know, Lucy Butler was in it, too. Between Millennium and um, Lone Gunman, it was called Harsh Realm, and it was about it. it was about virtual reality, I think. It was, it was sort of about a, a, this military man going into this yep. uh, game or fictional realm. And, you know, Lance Henriksen was in the pilot, and, and I believe Sarah Jane Redmond was in the pilot. Was Pelagian there, uh, there, too? Terry O'Quinn was in there. Played Peter oh, it was, it was, uh, then Terry O'Quinn pops back up, and it isn't Pelecki. Is that right? I think it's O'Quinn. I think it's okay. Terry O'Quinn. One yeah, of the two. Was, okay. I think he was playing, you know, again, I haven't looked at Harsh Realm really recently. I think he was playing the villain of the piece, and his name was Santiago, maybe. Uh, um, how long did that last, the Harsh Realm? It, it it only stayed on the air for like two or three episodes, unfortunately. But more were made, and you can the DVD is available, so you can see all the episodes. I know I really should go back and watch all the episodes. Okay. I think I only saw the ones that aired. You know, my feeling, you know, at the time, but my my initial feelings are often wrong <laughs> because I dismissed Millennium originally as just being sort of. Uh, you know, serial killer of the week until I went back and looked at it, yeah. and then you know looked at it again. And said, oh, this is really great. Um, but I, my my original take on Harsh Rum was that it was sort of confusing and you know um, you know kind of dense. It was like very hard to follow. Um, I mean, I watched it every time I was on the air just because I I, I really am an aficionado of Chris Carter's work. There, I, I I would wager to say that you know if it's a Chris Carter series, there's probably uh, yep. excuse me, my son is screaming in the background. Um, oh. If uh, 
it, you know, if it's a Chris Carter series, there's probably something, um, you know, of interest there that, that's probably very relevant to the times. You know, it, 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 I do know that, um, you know, that was the time of films like The Matrix, um, which was about sort of a virtual reality world, yeah, and there was, there was right. a David that's Cronenberg right. film, Existence, which is also about uh, sort of virtual reality gaming. I think there's one other, like The 13th Floor. All these things came out at the same time. You know, sort of the culture became very consumed there with a, for a moment with um, with virtual reality, yeah. um, uh, and I think it was part and parcel of that. Um, well, I'll tell you what, knowing that you might have to attend to things at home there, what I did want to do is, is at least get this from you, and I would say this, that the Millennium Series to me never had one show where I said, that's bull crap. The acting, the whole nine yards was well done, and although you come out of it most often with not the most, you know, lightened spirit, right. that show was 100% meat and no fat. I I agree with you. I mean, I, I've you know, like I said, I've, I've sort of spent my adult life, you know, in, in, in this pursuit of you know film and television that you know I think you know bear the definition of art. And you know, as you get older, Keith, and I, I don't know if you felt this, but as I've gotten older, I've I felt sometimes you know I call it the, the cranky old man syndrome. I get I, I look back at things from twenty years from twenty, thirty, forty years ago, like Star Trek or The Twilight Zone or The Outer Limit. And I say, you know, that's when TV was really great. And, you know, look at how cleverly they crafted episodes. And look at the photography. You know, One Step Beyond would be in there as well. And, and, and so, you know, it's, it's easy to dismiss or miss something more recent, you know, that you don't give the chance. And, you know, I, know, I realize Millennium is now 10 years old. But, you know, it, it, yeah. it's truly, the, the more I look into it, the more there is there. You know, every time I look into it, I see more deeply into it, and I, I really think that, you know, it, it's a show like that. It, it's a show that, you know, now we can say I think, you know, not, you know, really survives the test of time. I mean, I think because I think it, it, it's as yeah. good, if not better, today, knowing what we've been through, than than you know mm -hmm. than how it worked ten years ago. And, and I just think, you know, the artistic layers of it are, are really undeniable. Um, so it's a, you know it's a product of you know relatively recent uh, you know network television that is as you said it's it's all meat it's yep. it's really it, it's really really great I mean I, I I just can't say enough you know how much I admire the series and um, you know how good I think it is and uh, you know again it, it's a wonderful discovery because you know if you get that cranky old man syndrome there's nothing to kick you out of your complacency than to see something that says wow you no. know yeah. this you know, the, the, this was done recently, and and this was good. This you can put beside Star Trek or or Twilight Zone or Outer Limits or One Step Beyond, and say, you know, you know, in, in some ways it's even better than those shows because it's more, it, it, you know, it's almost more mature and you know, in some senses more ambiguous and philosophically, you know, hefty than than some of those shows, um, you know, on a regular basis. So I mean, it it, it really is a great show. There's there's just no doubt about it. Um. When someone on the blog had asked whether or not Millennium is popping up anywhere on the Internet, um, I took a look around. Uh, my wife, who's a real aficionado of uh, uh, Star Trek and, and Millennium and such, uh, I asked her if she found anything like on Hulu, but it's not there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, I thought I found something, but then I don't know if you can actually watch the episodes there. I think you might be able to watch them on Amazon.com. You know, I, I would just, you know, I, I would really urge people to, 
you know, it, it's not that expensive. No, to get it's, all worth, it's worth buying the box set. It is. It, it, it is. It, it, it totally is. That's why I say go out and buy that box set. You know, God, you, you're yeah. guaranteed of sort of 67, you know, spine-tingling, you know, 67 yes. hours that, you know, pretty much tells a whole, a whole story or even as much of a whole story as you want. It's a little ambiguously, but, hey, that's what movies are for. We can always have another movie. You know? Hitchcock made a million being that way. So Yeah, yeah you know, it's, it's nice. It's, uh, I, I would really urge people to buy the box set. Yes. You know, you, it, have, it's, yeah. one, it's a good investment. I mean, it really yep. is. It, you're going to be entertained. There's no doubt about it. And also to bring us back full circle, like the Orvoros, uh, <laughs> of what we're talking about the supremacy of the individual and the supremacy of the group, I just want to leave people with something. If, if you want the world history... Uh, in, a, in a half minute, check out the poem by Robinson Jeffers, written in 1944, called Be Angry at the Sun. But in there, there is a line. I mean, to me, this is another 100% meat poem. But in there, there is a line that said, The cold passion for truth hunts in no pack. And that reminds me of Frank Black. You don't want to necessarily have to be a Steppenwolf, but sometimes you just have to be. And that's the way I look at him. Tormented, but he's on our side. We love them. We just think we wish that things could have been different, but it, it yeah. probably wasn't the case. No, that's great. I, I love that. That, that, that. That's a great. Uh, that's a great way of looking at. It. That could have been a quote on the beginning of an episode of Millennium. That <laughs> could have been an epigraph. Yeah, one of those. Yeah, you know, the cold passion of a truth hunts a no back. Uh, uh, no pack. That is Robinson Jeffers. Be angry at the sun. Uh, wow, tight poem from 1944, and you can imagine at that time where he was coming from. Oh, that's fascinating. We're but. going to bring this to a close for now. We're going to call this just perhaps maybe the end part one. There might be an end part two. It's up to you folks whether or not you'd like us to dialogue about this. Uh, you have had some uh, feedback, and uh, if that were the case, there was enough of that, we'd love to do that. And if it's all right with you, John, we will. We'll just let's see what the listeners do. Absolutely. That sounds good. All right, John Kenneth Muir. We haven't said a whole lot about his website or his blog spot, but I tell you what, you know that, folks, if you've hit this show – they're both up there, both links, and you can avail yourselves of them. No reason for us to go through it uh, during the show. Uh, John, thanks for being with us again a fourth time. Uh, I think we'll probably see each other somewhere down the road, whether it's about Millennium or some other things you have up your sleeve, and you're more than welcome uh, to come back, and I really wish you would. Thank you. It's, it's been my pleasure. I, I really enjoyed this. This, this has been a, a, a really great dialogue, I think, about a, a great series, and I, I thank you for being uh, such a, a great host to be with. Well, I'm, I'm cheap and I'm good. <laughs> so, but we'll see you folks and uh, we'll catch you somewhere down the road on thinkorbeeaten.com. Good night. <laughs>